I, I am excited about being here this morning with you and about hearing about what's going on uh, with Youth Explosion. And I hope you did pray for them. But you know what that tells me? When I see those young people responding to an invitation to, to reorder their lives, to receive a gift that is far above anything that anyone could ever imagine, it makes me realize that, that young people long for something that is permanent and stable, and true. And so do old people. So do people like me and like you. And the only place that can be found, the only place that you can find stability and permanence is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my hope is that you know him. And if you don't, that maybe even today before you leave this auditorium, you would surrender and give your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we prepare to get into the word of God. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to worship. Thank you for the way that you have moved this weekend in this particular location to touch the lives of young people. And now, God, as we open up your word, I pray that you will speak to us, speak to me. Use me however you see fit. I would like to do really well, but if I'm of the fool today, then God, if we hear from you, it's worth it all. So I commit these next moments to you through the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, not too long ago, I think last week, started a short journey through a series called Encounters with Jesus. And anytime you encounter Jesus, I mean really encounter Jesus, he's going to disturb your life. He does it in order to, to realign us. This morning, I want to look at a passage from John chapter 5, and I know the text will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, you could turn there as well. And I just want to look at the first 15 verses, and I'm going to read them. And just if you will, listen as I read through them from the New International Version. It begins this way in verse 1 of John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic, it is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, 
Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up your, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that, there was, that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is God's word, and it's true. And it tells us about the way that Jesus encounters one man with implications to every one of us who sits here today. The Gospel of John, in the first four chapters, is a book that, that presents Jesus in those first four chapters in very gentle, almost, almost, oh, I don't know, covert terms. Presents him as the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Gently moving, and then all of a sudden, right here in chapter 5, things begin to shift. Because in chapter 5, and then again in chapter 9, and then in chapter 11, Jesus performs a miracle in each of those. Here, with a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years. In chapter 9, a blind man. In chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it seems to increase the intensity of the, the scholars and the religious, yeah, I can speak, religious leaders to destroy him. And it increases and increases, but Jesus comes to encounter his creation for the purpose of bringing about transformation. What I want to do in the, the little time we have left this morning is I want us to consider four different things. First of all, I want us to consider a question, then a response, then an invitation, and then a warning. A question, a response, an invitation, and a warning. If you look at your Bibles in the first six verses, it says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Jews. Now, we have no idea what feast this is. It doesn't tell us, but it's one of the feasts. So many people would be gathered around. Now, there was a, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool with, which was in Aramaic called Bethesda. You can go there today. You can see some of the remains of what was Bethesda. There was a belief that when the water stirred, that if you had an ailment of some kind, if you would immerse yourself in the water, you would be healed. So at the, at the Sheep Gate, which is on the, the northern entrance to the temple, almost, um, almost a secondary entrance, so to speak, there were a number of people who would come through that gate. They would see all of these people waiting to get into the pool. And as Jesus walks in during this feast, he walks through that northern gate, would have seen not only these, these, the, this, this, these pools of water, but he would also look at the temple, and then he would see this one man. Why he picked him, I have no idea. But here's this man who had been an invalid for 38 years, and he asks him a question. Do you want to get well? Here's the encounter. And Jesus, Jesus does things like this all the time, even today. At some point, if he has not yet, he will ask you, do you want to get well? 
Oh, now all of us, and I, I was working around the house, and my shoulder hurts, and my back hurts, and I was tightening a bolt with the wrong kind of tool, and it snapped shut, and pinched my thumb, and now I've got this bruise that still hurts. I can't turn pages. Wah, 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 wah. Do I, do I want my shoulder to feel better? Would I like my thumb not to hurt this morning? Oh, without question. But what do I really want? You see, that's the question that Jesus is asking this man. What do you want? When he asks him, do you want to get well? And Jesus does this a lot. He wants the person that he's speaking to to, to examine, to consider his condition. Jesus would speak to you today by his Holy Spirit and ask you the question, do you want to get well? And in order to determine whether or not you want to get well, you've got to decide what's wrong. And I can tell you this, it's not a bruised thumb or a sore shoulder. What's wrong is the destructive nature of sin. And it causes us to be crippled. Jesus speaks to him and asks him, what do you want? Do you want to get well? Now, here's the fact. He wanted to get up and walk again. But when Jesus speaks to us, when he spoke to you, there are some of us that we don't want to get well. We like being in the condition we're in. We like being the victim. We like being in a position that we tend to think we have some level of comfort, and so we don't want to get well. But when we begin to examine who we really are and what we really desire, we can answer that question. Now, look how he answers. Verse 7 says this, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am getting in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Here's what he says. First of all, I have no one to help me. I got nobody. I need someone to help me. I can't do it by myself. And we just sang about it, didn't we? He is able. Take time sometime today. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, particularly in verses 9 and 10, or go, go to, go to uh, John 15, 5, that, that he, is, he is the vine. We're just branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So the invalid was right. I've got nobody to help me. Then he, he goes on to say this, I've got no one to help me get into the pool while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in before me. I, I've, I've given up. I can't get there fast enough. I see the water stir. I, I start to crawl. I, I use everything I know. I've, I've self-determination. Self I've read all the self-help books. I've, I've tried the 12 steps. I've done all those things. I can't get there fast enough. So I've given up. I've, in fact, I don't have any hope anymore. I just can't do it. In that response, I think the man comes to a point where he realizes 
exactly what Jesus wants him to realize. You see, because you and I keep thinking somehow, yes, I want to be healed. Yes, I want, I, I want this done to me. I, I, I want to get better. I, I want to get in the water. I, 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 I want to be better. I, but I lack the ability. I can't do it. And Jesus then takes that response and begins to open a door to something that is so magnificent and so wonderful it can hardly be believed. He doesn't say, well, uh, come on, I'll help you. doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, um, hey, hang in there. You'll, it'll be okay. You know, Steve, I know it's, things are tough, but just hang in there, buddy. And then kind of walk away. Even sometimes it, it comes out this way for us. It comes out, I'll pray for you. Doesn't do that. He doesn't say to him, um, well, listen, uh, let, me, let me just make you comfortable. Let me just make you at ease. Just, um, hey, come Come on, come on back to Willoughby Hills Friends Church and, and we'll make you comfortable. We'll tell you that everything's okay. See, as soon as you do that, you, you begin to manipulate rather than to bring about the transformation that needs to take place. No, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 8. He says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What? What a ridiculous thing, right? You know what Jesus says to him? First thing he says, he says, get up. And in order for him to get up, he has to empower him to do that. Jesus knows exactly what he's asking the men. He's asking them to forget about the circumstances that he finds himself in and to trust him and to respond to him. And so he empowers him to get up. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, no one, John, in the, just another chapter over, in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says this, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And the Father does that through the, through the activation of the Holy Spirit that draws you and that in, empowers you even to believe. Because without it, you cannot so Jesus says, get up. And then he says, pick up your mat. That's, you know what that is? That's abandonment, or if we want to use a biblical word, that's repentance. In other words, he's telling him, pick up the very thing that you have depended upon so that you might not relapse. That's turn your back on the thing that has given you a certain measure of comfort. Turn your back on that. Pick it up. Don't leave it lay there so that later if you think, oh, I, I'm not so sure, I better go back and lay down. See, Jesus does that to us all the time. When you encounter Jesus, when he calls you to himself, he says, first of all, get up by the power of the Holy Spirit and then abandon the things, the, the, the functional saviors that you hang on to. 
and we all have them. Might be your children, might be your boyfriend, might be your girlfriend, might be your your husband, your wife, might be your job, might be your house, might be your status in the community. They're all functional saviors. And Jesus says, pick that up. Abandon it. And then he says, he tells them to walk. In other words, what Jesus is saying, I want to see you having continued progress and success in living out the transformation that has taken place. Don't lay back down as he speaks them. And he says to you, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you encounter Jesus, when he calls you to himself, when he tells you to to pick up, to abandon the things that you've depended upon, now he says, walk. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you that you live a life or walk worthy of the calling unto which you were called. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. Let us abandon everything. And Run with perseverance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, when Jesus encounters the, the, the man who is crippled, he asks him, what do you want? And when he gives all of the excuses and he has exhausted them and comes finally to the end of himself, he says to him then, Get up, pick up, and walk. There's a gentle warning then that comes. And there's a lot of information that occurs in, in, verse, in the last half of verse 9 and 10 where the Jews begin to encounter him, the Jewish leaders begin to encounter him and ask him why he's doing something when it's unlawful to be done. All, all things that sort of cloud the issue. And when he asks, who told you to do this? He doesn't know. Then it comes to this point in verse 14. Look what it says. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, theologians for years have thought, oh my goodness, what's Jesus saying? If I, if I, if I sin again, then I'm going to be crippled again or something bad's going to happen. That's not the point of what he's saying here. It can't be. It can't be because in John chapter 9, when Jesus speaks to the, the, the leaders, when they're asking the question, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus says neither. It's that the Son of God might be glorified. Jesus is not going to contradict himself if, in fact, here he says, you will receive something worse if you start sinning again and then go the other direction in chapter 9. He's not going to do that. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to this man, 
Don't go back to your mat. Don't go back and depend upon something that is undependable. I have no idea what this man did with his mat. We don't know. There's, I would really like to know. When Jesus saw him, whenever this was, whether it was a couple of days later or a week later, when he saw him again, I just wonder, did he have his mat strapped to his back? Did he roll it up and carry it with him? And then when Jesus said, no, 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 don't you remember? I told you to pick it up. In other words, perhaps indicating I wanted you to abandon it, he he would just go, well, you know, I didn't know if I'd need it again. See, when Jesus calls you out of darkness into light, do you have stuff you're hanging on to to say, well, you know, I, I might need it again. I might have to use that again. No. He's saying, get rid of it. My guess is the man had that flung over his back and he said, look, you're well You've been healed. You've been transformed. You've been delivered. So get the dang mat off your back. I don't think Jesus would say dang. Maybe he would. I don't know. I don't, want, I don't know what the Aramaic is for dang. But I know Jesus is emphasizing that you don't, you don't want to go back there. Listen, when Jesus, when you encounter Jesus and he says, what do you want? And you say, I want to be new. And he makes you new when he says, okay, get up, pick up and walk in this new life. That isn't something now that you run by your effort because here's what God does. God has completely transformed you. The theologians like to talk about the three aspects of salvation or sanctification. Positional sanctification, which is when God the Father looks at you. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, when God the Father looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from 17 to 21 explains it all. Verse 21, God the Father made him, Jesus who knew no sin, to become sin on your behalf, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. So positionally, the moment you trust Christ as Savior, God sees you like he sees Jesus. But the scholars also talk about a progressive sanctification, progressive salvation. We are continuing to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You are not the man or the woman you were six months ago if you're walking in Christ. And you will not, you will be a different man or woman six months from now. As you can, that's the progress. You're becoming more like Jesus. And if that wasn't part of the Christian experience, then why in the world would the Bible include all the letters of Paul, of Peter, of John? that give us instruction on how to walk in a manner worthy of this new life because he's given us the ability to do it. And then there is permanent sanctification when we either Jesus comes again, hope it's today, or when you're taken home to be with him, 
when we hear these words, we will see him as he is because we will be like him, permanent. The invalid spent 38 years on a mat until he responded to an encounter with Jesus that transformed him forever. The Gospel of John is a very interesting gospel, as is his letters, because he states his thesis at the end rather than at the beginning. In John chapter 20, the last two verses, you can read this. Many other things Jesus did, which are not written in this book. But these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the first encounter. That's the encounter when Jesus pierces into your heart and says, here's life. There is another encounter in 1 John chapter 5, the last chapter around 13 or 14. And it says this, that I have written you these things who believe in the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. You see, the gospel of John is like saying, pick up your bed and walk. Get up, pick up, walk. 1 John is like saying, Hey, you are well again, so walk like you are. I don't know where you are in the spectrum of this this journey, whether or not you have come to faith in Jesus Christ or whether and you have encountered Jesus or whether you are yet to encounter him. But a day is coming when Jesus, or has come, when he said, Get up, pick up, and walk. And he will continue to encounter you with words like this. You're well. Don't go back. Drop the mat and walk in my power. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way that you have taken even these few moments and driven deep into our hearts, at least mine, the very truth that you are the one who who is able to give us life and peace and hope. If there is anyone here, Lord, today that doesn't know your son, Jesus, may they make that decision to follow him when he says, get up, pick up, and walk. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.